Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I like didn't work for some that, reason. That was not. Yeah, you should do it. I don't know. My fingers don't work. <laughs> Welcome to Art After Dark. I'm your host, Maddie. And I'm your other host, Natalie. And we are jumping right in. How was your week, Natalie? <laughs> it was pretty good. It feels like we just talked about this I know. yesterday, but we were having so much problems with our Zoom call that we couldn't get it to work, but... Yeah, um, yeah. now we're live and in person, mm-hmm. so which feels nice. Not yeah, it does. But yeah, you pretty much know how my week was. It yeah, was, uh, <laughs> it was good. We it was Natalie's birthday. It was. Yeah, yeah, Sunday was my birthday, so that was good. We didn't really do anything. Yeah. It was really really cold. Yeah, but um, watched Harry Potter, so I'm good with that. That sounds like a pretty good day to me. Yeah, we had a lot of good food. We made beer cheese soup and Oh gosh, ugh, that sounds so good. One of my faves. With some yeah. popcorn. Yep, exactly. Ugh. Thank yeah. you. Because everyone's like, What are you putting popcorn in? They're like, you so have weird. to put popcorn in it. Oh my gosh. That's the thing. That's the thing. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so how was your week? It was good. So I went dress shopping for the first time <gasps> really? on Saturday. Yeah, Natalie came with. <laughs> it was really fun. It was like, I don't know. It was kind of overwhelming, not going to lie. But I'm going again next Saturday. So yeah. I'm probably going to find the dress if things go well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I will update y'all on how that goes. Yeah. I think yeah. we had some pretty strong contenders. Yeah, there was one that I really liked, but I'm trying to, like, be tight-lipped about it because, so Jack is, like, really not wanting to know. He, like, totally wants to be surprised, which I think is really cute. Like, he doesn't even want to know how I'm going to do my hair or makeup. Like, I don't know. So I've been keeping it a secret. And the day after my dress appointment, I went on Facebook and there were a, a bunch of pictures of me. Not a bunch. There were two pictures of me trying on dresses. Yeah. That I was tagged in. I was like, oh my God. So I quicked and untagged myself. But Jack had already seen it and he was like all bummed out because he thought he saw like the wedding dress. So, yeah. <laughs> well, at least he saw one of the not ones yeah, that you I know. He actually saw of. my least favorite dress yeah, that I tried so on. He'll be pleasantly surprised still. Right. Maybe, <laughs> it'll, maybe it'll make it more surprising because, yeah. yeah, the dress I probably end up with will be a lot different mm-hmm. from the one in the photo. Totally. But yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, that was, it was really fun to go with and see. I haven't really, like, done that with a friend really oh yeah yeah i've never done that before e- well i mean i went to yours right but you i feel like you didn't really try on too many dresses no. because you already knew which what you wanted you yeah know? i knew i didn't want to get it from the shop we were at i just wanted mm-hmm. to try on stuff for fun but yeah i don't know it was a good time <laughs> it was a good time but so now we have a death of the day and this yes. is on tuesday Jan- well oh, i almost said it was january i don't even know what month it is Actually, I'm okay. So since we're not posting till tomorrow, oh yeah, I changed it. Okay, so, so you don't have to hear the same one I talked about yesterday. Okay, even cool. That was pretty cool, but <laughs> um, 
<laughs> yeah. We got pretty far in our episode before things started malfunctioning. Yeah, I'll still be surprised by the... We didn't even get to the art topic, but I'll still be surprised with the true crime topic because I it was, like, very robotic sounding. <laughs> it, it went between robotic sounding and, like, hamster voice back and forth. Yep. So... That's Zoom for <laughs> you. I'm sure everybody knows how that goes. Yeah. But we do have a new artist death of the day. Yeah, so, um... I have a couple that I thought were pretty cool. One of them's name is Samuel Prout, and he was a British watercolor painter who died in 1852. And he did a lot of, like, buildings, and I don't know, all of his work looks pretty cohesive. Yeah, it's a lot of beige and a lot of buildings. Like, Mm -hmm. he just... Good contrast, though. I mean, like, that, like, beige orange with the blue sky. I don't know. It's like an atmospheric haze. It looks like... (laughs) He's really into, like, dynamic lighting, too. If you can... You know what I mean? Yeah. It looks like a lot of the same buildings at different times of day, which is kind of cool. That's a good point. It looks like he's also really good with, um, like, a vanishing point. You know? Yeah, Making things look like they're actually buildings and all lined up in the right angles. Totally, totally. Man, I struggle with that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, this is a really good example. Mm -hmm. I don't know what this one's called. Dorothium? Dorothy. Yeah, check it out. It's Samuel good. Prout. Mm-hmm. And then the other guy was Francis Danby, the guy that you said looks like he maybe wrote Moby Dick. <laughs> which, which is really funny he because. Did not. <laughs> he did Okay, so he didn't write Moby Dick, guys, but upon looking up his artwork, he did a lot of violent oceanic scenes. Totally. Totally looks like it'd be in the book Moby Dick. <laughs> I've never read Moby Dick, but I've never I'm sure either. there is. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, weird stuff going on in his paintings. Okay, where is he from? Where was he from? I- Ireland? Yeah, he was... Ireland. He was mm-hmm. Irish, and yeah, I don't know. Just check it out. Irish painter. R.I.P., guys. R.I.P. I feel like I've learned about so many artists through <laughs> this part of the pod. Yeah, it's kind of cool. All right, so what do we have today? I'm g- Even though I, I mean, I already know what we have today, but I don't know... I want to say I I do not know this story. I've never heard of it before, and I only heard about like two minutes of it last night. Yeah. <laughs> so well, it's pretty short, but um, and I and I'm sorry to say, but you probably heard most of it. But most of it was probably you couldn't understand a lot of me at what I was oh, saying. Oh yeah, I, it'll be like hearing it for the first time because it was pretty rough. Okay, <laughs> so as you know, this is a story of Tent Girl. Tent Girl. Tent Girl. Yes. Yeah, so. Okay, so here's what happened. So, on May 17th in 1968, there was a man named Wilbur Riddle, and he was walking alongside U.S. Route 25 near Georgetown, Kentucky. Um, And he came across a rolled-up green tarp, and it was the type of thing that maybe you would wrap up a tent inside. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, okay, so yesterday when when we were talking about this, because I did hear that part, I literally have a rolled-up tarp in the other room, and it was sitting next to me. And it's a green tarp, like the one you described. I was like, that's a weird coincidence. Yeah, so imagine that, but inside of it, unfortunately, you can see where this is going, he found the decomposing body of a young woman. Um, So he called the police, and they came to investigate, and they, you know, publicized her description. They asked the community if they knew any missing girls or anything like that, Um, but they couldn't identify her. 
and it looked as though she had been murdered because somebody obviously rolled up her body and like put it in this right tent thing but no like obvious signs of like bludgeoning or stabbing or strangling or uh, anything i don't know like not that i could find any sounds like not maybe if they didn't know for yeah. sure and you know um they didn't have any suspects of course for the murder because they didn't even know who she was so mm-hmm. they didn't have any leads on that or anything like that right so okay so they were kind of like looking for like a couple years and then in 1971 they still had no new leads on the case nothing so they just buried her in the cemetery um in kentucky and then a local company donated this headstone and the headstone said tent girl found may 17th 1968 on u.s highway 25 north Died about April 26th to May 3rd, 1968. Age about 16 to 19 years. Height 5 feet 1 inch. Weight 110 to 115 pounds. Reddish brown hair. Unidentified. I just have to jump in and say the calling her like tent girl is so interesting to me because it makes me think like, God forbid, like if I died in a horrible way, like Let's say an anvil fell on me. Yeah, anvil girl. Would they call me anvil girl? Or, like, if a car hit me and I died, like, would they call me, oh, car girl? Like, yeah. it's just interesting that it says tent girl on the headstone. But, I mean, I what else I think the whole headstone say? is kind of weird. Like, wow. Like, I hope they don't put my weight on my headstone. I know, like, right? <laughs> but it's, like, it's probably God. just, you know, for identifiers. Like, yeah. Like, oh, hey, I might know who this might be or whatever. But yeah, nobody, that's a good point. nobody knew. And the other side of it had an engraving of a police sketch that someone had made to represent, like, how she might look in oh. when she was alive. So it was totally, like, to help just, like, solve like, the case who is this? after yeah. burial. I think it's nice, though, that, like, she had a headstone. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. gave her something proper, which is nice. Um, but, yeah, so the police were pretty much done at that point, thinking it was a lost cause. Um, and it was that was that for many years. And then <laughs> this is where... We started, like, having trouble yesterday, but... Which kind of works out, because, like, this is, like, the mystery part, or, like, the detective work part, so... Exactly. It gets interesting. Okay, so, in the late 1980s, Wilbur's daughter, and Wilbur, again, was the guy who found the body. Okay. Um, His daughter married this guy named Todd Matthews, and Wilbur kind of never really got over the discovery of the body and everything, and Todd knew that this just, like, really bothered him. Um... You know, like, not knowing who the girl was and just going through all that and stuff like that. So Todd became obsessed with trying to figure this out. So interesting. It's like, so if my dad stumbled upon a dead body, which he did one time, that's a... <gasps> what? Okay, it's sidebar. Actually, what what yeah, do we got going on here? You got it. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a story for another day, but it's actually, like, a one-minute long story. So Tell I'll me. just tell it. He used to renovate houses with his brother, my uncle, actually, in Minneapolis area. And one time he told me that he was like taking something out to the trash in this empty house that they're gonna renovate. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! They like renovated like pre- houses that were like not in good parts of town. They're very run down, and he found a dead mailman stuffed in the garbage <gasps> can. Yeah. Oh my god! Isn't that, that crazy? That is. That's like so much worse than I was expecting. Yeah. That's a murder. I don't even know. Right. Cause he's like, it's not like he like stumbled upon somebody who had a stroke. Yeah. He was stuffed in the garbage can. I don't even know how it got resolved to be honest. Like he like, told me this story a long time ago, but I, I you never should ask forgot him. it. 
Yeah, maybe I'll have him on. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, have him send in an audio clip of him talking yeah, about it. Yeah, that could be interesting. Because, oh my god, that's horrifying. But I yeah, know, right? so that'd be like that's Jack. Like if, like, yeah, if Jack, like, knew my dad stumbled upon a dead body that was, like, never solved, and Jack, like, all of a sudden, that was his, all he did in his free time sweet. was study the case. Like, it is kind of sweet. I know, like, this Todd guy is, like, the real MVP, because... Like, the police gave up. They were like, I know. we're done. And Sounds then, like they washed their hands of it. Right yeah, they're away. like, yeah, we'll just bury her, whatever. Let's just not worry about it anymore. I mean, there's no family, at, you know, at their door saying solve this because they didn't know who she was. Right, and why not? Why wasn't there? That's, an, that's a whole other discussion, but, like, mm-hmm. what? Ugh. This is so much better being in person because, like, I feel like when we're in Zoom, it's, like, delayed a little bit, so we can't really, like, oh, yeah, make sure. our little comments about stuff. But, yeah, that's a really good point. But anyway, so Todd was just, like, really wanting to figure this out, and it was, you know, this is, like, the late 80s, early 90s, and the internet really started popping, so he was using that to look through public databases, he was trying to find any postings about missing persons, anything like that, and he actually even created his own website for oh 10 gosh. Girl. Yeah, and then one day in 1998, he found a description of this girl named Barbara Ann Hackman Taylor on a missing persons website. And the posting said that they had a young relative um, who had gone missing in around 1967 in Lexington, Kentucky, which is about 15 miles from Georgetown where Tent Girl was found. So he sent them a message with the details of Tent Girl and all this stuff matched up, like descriptions of her, like she had a gap between her two front teeth or something like that. And like even down to that, it was like all matched up. So the police actually arranged to have her body exhumed so they could do a DNA test with the family. And it was her sister who made the posting. So anyway, on April 26, 1998, they officially confirmed that the identity of the victim was Barbara Ann Hackman. And it turns out this woman, Barbara, was 24 years old and she was married with an infant daughter. That's my age. Isn't that weird? Yeah. It's sad. It always Uh, makes more personal when you can relate to the victim in any way. Totally. Um, So... Okay, so her husband actually never filed a missing persons report when she disappeared. And Big he told, red flag. Yeah, and he told everyone that she just left him for another man. So they were kind of, like, no one really, like, knew where she went or anything like that. Um, and he was also a carnival worker. Dude, carnival workers are the most sauce people ever. Well, yeah, and I mean, like, he probably had a lot of access to tents and tarps. <laughs> I feel like somebody, my it. mom told me to, like... That she used to be told when she was a kid, like, stay away from carnies. You know, that's what they call the carnival oh workers. Gosh. Because yeah. I've just heard a lot of stories about carnival workers. And, oh, I feel bad. I shouldn't put out a stereotype. Like, I feel like it's <laughs> probably not like that anymore. Yeah, maybe it was more of a thing back then. Yeah. I could totally see that. But, yeah, so you had access to tents and exactly, stuff. Exactly, yeah. Okay. So he was, like, their main suspect, but he died of cancer in 1987, which was, Aww. like, 10 years before they even, like, identified who Barbara was. So a little too late. They were too late, so they never got to question him or anything, but they made up a real tombstone for her, and they actually placed it with the tent girl one, so I think the tent girl one's still there. And they took off her married name. They just put her maiden name on it because they were pretty sure her husband killed her. Oh, that's really nice because it's expensive to, like, fix headstones and engravings or or so I've heard. So it's nice that they did that for her. Yeah. So all in all, it took 31 years 
to identify her Dang. from the time she was found to the time that um, Todd Matthews figured it out. That's so sad. Like, I'd like to think if I went missing, I'd be identified. Like, people would be Ugh, looking for me. So sad. But after all that, some good came out of this story. Todd Matthews actually went on to co-found this website called the Doe Network, like Jane or John Doe. And mm-hmm. basically what you what this website is for is for people to post missing persons or unidentified like found bodies and things like that so that people could match up the descriptions and they have assisted in 95 identifications and locations of identified missing individuals so damn so good did come out of it i want to go on the website it's just like doe network yeah i think it's donetwork.org donetwork.org so when you say that they post like Pictures of unidentified, bo- like it's. Well, a I don't picture? think they. I don't think. I don't know. I don't think they post pictures. I think it's more like descriptions, and then like if the descriptions match up, they like have a match, and then um, it pretty much just generates potential leads. Oh my god! And I think it there's like nine hundred or something volunteers that like run this website. Damn, nine hundred volunteers. So they all like look through the. It's stuff a small and, army. Yeah, it really, it really is. That's really sweet. I think so, too. It's just, like, I don't know. Like, that just, like, really affected him. Like, that story just, like, really affected him, and he did good. He did good. He should be a real detective. Like, he actually cares. Like, he actually, like, went to the police and was like, you need to exhume this body so that we can, like, figure this out. And they were like, okay. All right, this guy, like, like, he he seems authoritative. Like, let's listen to him. (laughs) Like, he should definitely be, like... Or a PI, you know, because personal or private investigators, you know, they kind of work for themselves. Yeah, but I just thought that was, like, a really cool mystery that was solved. It just feels so satisfying when it's actually solved. I know. I do struggle with the unsolved stories because I'll be, like, thinking about it in bed in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. Like, who did it? Like, what happened to Elisa Lamb? (laughs) Like, can I figure it out if I think (laughs) about it enough? You know? (laughs) Exactly. So, this is gross, but, like, so when you were... We're talking about the Doe Network website initially, and you said missing person. They post missing persons or unidentified bodies. I thought, oh my god, like do they like if somebody stumbles upon a body, would they post a picture of it and be like, does this look at like anybody you know? And which obviously it sounds like that's not the case. But I hope not because that's just kind <laughs> that's of so disturbing. Be yeah. like Tinder where you're like swiping left oh on my all these god. bodies. Like, no, that's not her. No, no. Oh my gosh. But like it reminded me of something. And this is super dark, but like if I'm gonna talk about it anywhere, I mean, why not on my pod our podcast, <laughs> right. Art After Dark? So one time in like middle or high school, my brother stumbled upon this website called Watch Me Rot dot com oh <gasps> do you remember this yeah so people and this was i'm like not even kidding this is real thank god like i can i don't even think i saw any actual footage but basically people would put a camera that's live in their coffin and like Genius. it would capture their you know decomposition and you just like go to this website and watch live streams that's why it's called watchmerot.com which is so gross. Like, who is watching that? But, oh, I don't know why. It just reminded me of that. Because I heard about that in middle school, and it always stuck with me. Yeah, I like, I've heard of that, and I totally forgot about that. But that is just, man, 
I don't know. That's why it made me think of it. Maybe but I... decomposition, honestly, like, without sounding like a serial killer, like, it is really interesting to talk about, kind of. Because it's, like, what happens, you Ugh, know? I don't know. I just, like, the thought of decomposing freaks me out more than, like, the thought of dying. Oh, yeah. like So <laughs> I want to be, like, cremated. Probably. Exactly. I was yeah. just about to say, like, I've told all my family, like, I really want to be cremated. If anything... I would love, I've seen this um, happen a few times. People, like, have their ashes planted in, like, a pot, and then they grow a tree out of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is so cool. It's like your, and something about your ashes is used to feed the tree. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like your life goes on almost in another form, which I think is beautiful. I wonder how, like, hard that is to do. Right. Or, like, how expensive it is, I guess. I know. Like, well, regular funerals and stuff are so expensive as it is. So, I wonder if it'd be comparable. But somebody online said one time, like, all these, you know, graveyards, they waste so much space if you think about it. And it's, like, eventually we're going to run out of room. So That's the... (laughs) Is that scary? So, like, imagine if instead of tombstones, they planted a tree. And you could pick any tree, you know, obviously that would survive in that area. Like, you want to... A pine tree or an oak tree or a willow tree and then instead <laughs> so of sad like if your tree died oh i know right that would that would be the bad part of it but then like graveyards would or cemeteries would look like a forest instead of like a desolate place with a bunch of stones you know what i mean so i don't know it's it's an interesting concept for sure hmm. okay i was just looking up Sorry, I was just looking up how long it takes for a body to fully Natalie, if people see your search history, they're going to, like, investigate you. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I should have done incognito mode. How long does it... Oh, as if police are like, damn it, she searched (laughs) it in incognito mode. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it says it takes three weeks to several years for a body to completely decompose into a skeleton. Hmm. And so then, okay, because that's what my thing was, is, like, so we've got, like, think about all the people who have ever died mm-hmm. and all the people who have ever been buried. Like, I don't know. Just, like, okay, so they're all, skele- like, mostly skeletons now, obviously. Which is weird because skeletons don't continue decomposing. So, like, what happens? Do they become, like, sand? Because so- you know how sand's rocks that have been broken down and then it's, like, yeah. a little grain? Because there's not, like, just millions of skeletons everywhere. Is there? Unless there is. Is that the core of the earth? Like, <laughs> I would really like to learn more about this. Like, I, I want to know, too. like, how much of the earth has, is skeletons, like, basically. Search, know. how much of, of the earth is skeletons? It's funny. It's a good follow-up search to make me not seem like you. <laughs> you know, and this might surprise you, for a moment I thought, I wonder what it would be like to be a beauty mortician. Because, like. I've thought of that too, actually, but. I really love doing makeup. I don't think. I don't think I could get behind it either because I probably would be traumatized every day. Yeah. Well, have you seen Drop Dead Gorgeous? No. Okay. Oh, I've seen a little bit of it. Just watch it. It's so good. But she is, she does hair and makeup (gasps) on the dead. Really? That's her job. Yeah. Well, I got the idea because I watched My Girl, which is a movie from a long time ago. Oh my God. That movie is so sad. With like Beta and Macaulay Culkin, I believe, Mm -hmm. is in it. And Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes. So Jamie Lee Curtis is a beauty mortician in that movie. Okay. And she's so cool in that movie. And I thought, I could do that. But nah. Oh, baby Macaulay Culkin. That movie's mm. sad. Baby Macaulay Culkin is one of the cutest kids ever. Yeah. Like if my kid look up, looks like him, 
Mm-hmm. That'd be so cute. <laughs> I know, what happened? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He's actually, he's kind of a cool dude, I've heard. Really? Yeah, like, I don't know. He, he, I don't know what he's even I think he to. might have a podcast or something. What, really? Oh so God. many people have podcasts. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, if you're, like, at least in your, like, early 20s, and you don't have a podcast, like, <laughs> who are you? To be honest, after we started our podcast, Jack was, like, talking with his friends, like, what if we did, like, a sports podcast? Like That'd be cool. I feel like people would like it. that. Oh, yeah. I was like, why not? You know? It's, mm-hmm. it's just fun. And this podcast, like, keeps me researching stuff, and I love, I love learning. That sounds so nerdy, but I do love learning things. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and it's kind of fun to have, like basically an encyclopedia in our head like i know right like i saw this tweet the other like a couple weeks ago that was just like so we all agree that the parents and the brother are trying to cover it they did it and they're trying to cover it up right wait let's say the count of three one two three john John benet Benet ramsey (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah i was like wow i know what this tweet is about (laughs) <laughs> or it was like without context, we all agree. Like, oh yeah, and right. it's like, yep, <laughs> it's like John totally. Ramsey. Dude, have you seen that John Bonet Ramsey's brother's Doctor Phil interview? Dude's guilty. No. Like, that interview is what sealed the deal for me. If you know the John Bonet Ramsey case, go watch that case talked about on Doctor Phil, and you'll know who did it. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think the mom had some weird, like, interviews, too. Yeah, she seemed like she had an ulterior motive, maybe. There's a whole special that um, My Favorite Murder did. Oh, really? I mean, they did, they covered JonBenet Ramsey in a, one of their episodes, but then they did a whole episode where they just talked about JonBenet Ramsey. Oh. And who, like, who done it, like, what they thought in their heart of hearts, like, who did it. Like, it's really interesting. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah, cool. they, like, went through, like, what if it was the parents, and then, like, what if it was, like, an outsider. Oh, cool. And they kind of, like, went through it. Yeah, it's really cool. I'd love that. So if you're interested in that case, check that out. For sure. Okay, what do we have for the art topic? Let's yeah. stop talking about dead bodies, please. <laughs> Let's talk about something else with bodies, like dancing, maybe? All right. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good, like, <laughs> lead-in. <laughs> so today... I'm going to be talking about famous performance artist Nick Cave. Okay. Not Nicolas Cage, Nick Cave. Mm-hmm, that's why I said earlier. Like, <laughs> so Nick Cage then, huh? Yes, yeah, so we're talking about the filmography of Nicolas Cage today, starting mm. with... Um, National <laughs> Treasure. Uh, okay, that's He's what He's a called. true artist. The first thing I thought of was the Declaration of Independence, <laughs> instead of the actual title of the movie. Yeah, mm, close enough. But yeah, so we're talking about Nick Cave, and so... I just keep... Every time you say it, I'm like, Nick Cage. Oh, but I... See, when I... I've, like, been obsessed with this artist for years now. Mm -hmm. I heard about him a long time ago when I was in college, and he came up. I can't remember why, and it just always stuck with me. And so maybe now it'll stick with you guys, and Mm -hmm. if you're listening, you should definitely look him up like and look up his work i was just showing natalie's work before we started and it's so cool very cool but so he, nick cave i'll give a little bit on his background first he was born on february 4th in 1959 huh. in fulton missouri last week i know so we're just around his birthday so happy birthday nick cave <laughs> and he is a famous fabric sculptor dancer and performance artist and I'm specifically going to be talking about his famous sound suit works. Okay. And I was first introduced to these in college, like I said. And 
they're just so mesmerizing. I have never seen anything like it. And one time when I was in Vegas with my family, I saw one of his sound suits on display and I noticed it from far away and I like ran up to it because I'd never seen one in real life. And it was just so cool. Wow. But yeah, so Nick Cave, uh, he grew up with seven brothers, so he had a very big household, and this was all to a single mother, which, Aww. I mean, you can imagine was probably pretty tough. Mm-hmm. And he was really interested in fashion from a, a very young age. You know, we kind of talked about this before. Some people are just born artists. They come out of the womb, like, creative, and they, they're they passionate about art. Mm-hmm. That was Nick Cave, but he specifically loved fashion. And his mom always encouraged him to pursue his passion in fashion. Aw, Mama. Mama Cave, I, I love know. you. <laughs> Which is nice because, as we know, like, sometimes parents will try to push their kids away from certain things. Mm-hmm. Like, it's been known that fashion maybe isn't the most masculine thing for a young boy to be interested in. Which is just like a stereotype right. and not true at all. But it was just nice to hear that she really encouraged him to pursue pa- fashion. Right. And this is, wait, what, how, when was he born? He again? was born in 1959. So, oh, dang. Yeah. So Mama she, Cave, progressive as hell. Exactly. She was progressive and, you know, she's probably a part of why he grew into what he is today. That's really cool. I love that. And so, yeah, so during his childhood, he'd spend a lot of time as grandparents' farm, like helping raise chickens and... He just grew up in a very poor household, so he kind of did whatever he could to gather things and, you know, make a little money. And he graduated from high school in 1977, and he enrolled in Kansas City Art Institute right away. And there he pursued his interest in fiber art, and he earned a Bachelor of Fine Arts in 1982. But before he graduated in 1979, he met somebody named Alvin Ailey, and Alvin Ailey is a really famous African-American dancer, director, choreographer, and he's an activist. And I really love Alvin Ailey. He's a super cool guy. He's really known for creating the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, and I believe that's located in Chicago. And this dance theater is also associated with the Ailey School. And basically it serves as a place for nurturing black artists and expressing the African-American experience through dance. Cool. Super cool. And so Alvin Ailey's performances fuse together modern dance and ballet, theater, and jazz. And so the goal was to create a hope field choreography that spreads global awareness of what black life is like in America. So a lot of nurturing and positive stuff coming out of this. Yeah. So Nick Cave, and I didn't mention, but he was an African, or is an African-American artist. Mm -hmm. When he met Elvin Ailey, he got really inspired to start being interested in dance and choreography. And Nick Cave really developed a love for just conveying art through movement in itself. And so shortly after graduating from the Kansas City Art Institute, Nick Cave started working as someone who, like, designed the displays for department store fronts. Oh, cool. Right, which is kind of interesting. Like, so he would dress the mannequins and, you know, like, at, um, I believe, Macy's, department stores like that. Yeah. So that yeah, was that's, his job. That's like, that would be really cool if that was, like, your job to, right. like, make those awesome displays. Yeah. 
So he was fashion forward. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he he knew his way around the fashion world. Mm -hmm. And by 1988, Nick Cave earned his MFA from Cranbrook Academy of Art in Bloomfield Hills in Michigan. And after that, he went on to teach a fiber arts program at the Art Institute of Chicago. Okay, I'm sorry, but what is fiber arts? Oh, good question. So fiber arts, it's not like fashion necessarily. Fiber arts is using any sort of fabric material to make an artwork. So sometimes this is embroidery, stitching, needlework. Yeah, like needlepoint, beading. I could see even being included. Um, Yeah, so using just fibers to create an art piece rather than using like fibers to create, you know, fashion pieces. So, oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So he like started taking his work more in the direction of avant-garde fiber arts, you know, versus fashion. Mm-hmm. And he is known, I should add, uh, to run his own clothing company out of Chicago. And he actually designs, manufactures, and markets all of his clothing himself. So he does wow. still, you know, have a foot in the clothing industry. Um, but now I want to get more into like the nitty gritty and talk about the concepts behind his work and just his like creative process. So as I mentioned earlier, Nick Cave grew up in a low socioeconomic home and growing up, he always was receiving hand-me-down clothing from older siblings. I definitely know what that's like because I had a lot of hand-me-down clothing, Hmm. not from like my own siblings because my, I mean, my older sibling is a boy and I didn't wear boy clothing. And I would get like hand me downs from friends of my mom, their older girls, when oh, they sure. grab their stuff. So I can relate to that. And yeah, for sure. I mean, you have an older sister. Yeah, we would basically just like trade clothes. So. <laughs> oh God, I wish I, I had an older sister yeah. so we could do that. It's kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so like if his clothes got damaged, he would have to be creative and like learn how to fix them himself because he can't just go and buy new clothes man what a good skill to have like that's like one thing that i really want to learn is how to like sew oh totally like you know because my um jack is involved in the construction industry yeah and so he comes home sometimes with tears in his clothes and it's like i wish i knew how to just do a simple stitch like i know and it's like man i look back at we took a class together where we had to sew a pair of shorts i don't remember anything no. i made the shorts and i don't remember how i even yeah. did that it i don't did not think stick we learned in much in that class to be honest no and i don't even think my shorts turned out that good yeah i definitely got rid of them my so. shorts were not wearable i know that <laughs> i think so. mine were like way too small or something like <laughs> yeah child shorts it's definitely a good skill to have yeah for I, sure. I wish i wish i had that skill I know. My friend Abby actually, I think, knows how to sew. Maybe she can give me some pointers. Abby, teach us. Yes, teach us your ways. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, very, like, good skill to have, especially from a young age. He was doing this when he was a kid. And so that's, like, actually how he got started, you know, playing and manipulating fabric. Man, that's so cool. Like, just think about, like... Man, what if you grew up knew it, knowing how to sew? Like, would your life be different? Right. Like, stuff like that. I don't know. It makes me think of my sister, Sophie, uh-huh. who she just graduated from high school last year. And she's so super into cosplay. Mm-hmm. So she, like, well, she taught herself how to sew. And she sews costumes for That's herself so cool. now. I just, I admire that. I admire skills that I cannot acquire at all. Same. <laughs> so, Nick Cave, he was... 
manipulating his own clothing from a young age. And once he was an established artist after earning his degrees, he really was reflecting on his background and himself as an artist. And his work took a whole new direction and he began making what he calls sound suits. So if, if you ever hear about Nick Cave, this is like the big thing people talk about. Mm-hmm. And so his sound suit pieces, because he has multiple of them, um, they really elevated him in the art community and that's what made his name known. And basically they're like sculptural costumes. They're more of like an art piece than clothing or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And there's usually a person wearing this sound suit and they put on a performance while they're wearing it. And that's like a part of the piece. And, you know, it helps like get the concept across as well. The movements that they use. Because remember, he was super inspired by Alvin Ailey because he had a great way of just using movements to convey concepts and emotions without using any words or visuals, you know, beyond movement, which is fascinating to me because I just don't know how to do that. Yeah. You know, I consider myself a creative and artistic person, but conveying art with movement is fascinating. Yeah. Wait, and I have a question. So sorry if this is a stupid question, but did Nick Cave know Alvin Ailey, or was he just inspired by his work? Oh, yeah, no, he met Alvin Ailey. Okay. And I think Alvin Ailey helped nurture him as a black artist because... Like a mentor? Like yeah. Like a mentor? Okay, cool. Exactly, yeah. So he he really, I, I think, grew and got some of his ideas after working with him. Okay, okay. I, I wasn't clear on that. Yeah, so good question, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so he started making these sound suits, and sometimes you'll see them on display on, like, mannequins, um, which is, like, what I saw in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And in that case, like, the mannequin might be positioned in a certain way. That's also, like, a part of the piece, you know, a part of, like, what the concept is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the sound suits are made of, like, so many different materials, and this is the coolest part. They're made of, like, human hair that's, like, dyed in multicolors, sequins, plastic buttons, wires, feathers, flowers, embroidery, beadwork. Like, so much goes wow. into these. They're very detail-oriented and just insane to look at. And the suit completely covers the wearer's body. So that means, like, the wearer's face isn't showing. No part of the wearer's skin is showing. It becomes, like, a second skin, basically. Whoa. And it really, like, conceals their identity, which is the point. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the sound suits follow the form of a natural human body. But I feel like most of the time it's an oddly distorted, shaped, elongated, and exaggerated, unhuman like features. Yeah, kind of like a rocket. A lot of them yeah. kind of look like a rocket. Some of them do. And I've noticed that there are, like, without trying to sound weird, there's a lot of, like, phallic shapes and a lot of feminine shapes too which is interesting because a lot of his work does involve like talking about identity and gender and your place in society Mm -hmm. um which i'll get into a little bit more later here but they're super interesting shaped and it's like out of this world looking and Mm -hmm. it looks really whimsical and they kind of look like monsters almost like It reminds me of yo gabba gabba like that children's show Mm -hmm. love it (laughs) Or, I don't know if you've seen the show, but have you heard of The Masked Singer? It's, like, the the dumbest reality TV game show ever, where basically, like, a famous person puts on, like, a head-to-toe costume that's, like, crazy, and then they put on a performance, and you have to, like, guess who it is off the sound of their voice. 
It kind of gives me that vibe, except, oh, yeah. <laughs> except a lot less, like, avant-garde. Yeah, 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 a lot more cartoony yeah. in that world. But that's kind of what it reminds me of. Yeah, totally. And I can totally see the Yo Gabba Gabba. Oh, yeah, for sure. too in some of these. Avant-garde artistic Yo Gabba Gabba. <laughs> Love it. And so because the sound suit completely hides the person wearing it, Nick Cave says that the idea is that the suit is supposed to conceal their race, gender, and class in society, and it forces the viewer to observe and make conclusions without any preconceived judgment. That is so cool. It's fascinating, yeah. It it really is. It's like, I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that, you know, like mm-hmm. the Gorilla Girls was kind of like that yeah. too where they wanted to conceal their whole anonymity <laughs> is that word anonymity i like i'll never be able to we've, say that word we've had so much so much run-ins with that word yes it makes me nervous now almost when it comes up i'm like damn it <laughs> um yeah so <laughs> that's it's like, been six months maddie <laughs> i know it's been six months i've been trying every day <laughs> just practice it every day i wake up and i say it three times <laughs> Um, But yeah, no, that's super cool. Yeah, so, and also because Nick Cave uses objects, um, for the most part, that are seen in everyday life to create these sound suits, he creates a sense of nostalgia almost, like when you really look close at the details, Mm -hmm. and a sense of familiarity. And it also, like, kind of comments on material culture and society, right? And it kind of talks about, you know, what is important to us in society. This one is completely just made of toys. Yeah, that one, yeah, a bunch of, like, plushies. Cute. And so, that's a photo, but just imagine that thing moving and dancing now. (laughs) It's kind of funny. It's overwhelming. It's, like, it incites so much, like, positive emotions, like, I can't even put it into words. Yeah, no, this is great. And so, the Finnish sound suits are inspired by and meant to resemble African ceremonial costumes and masks as well as carnival costumes and Dogon costumes, which Dogon costumes are involved with the indigenous ethnic groups in West Africa, from what I found. Okay. And they have ceremonies um, that are, it's intended to like lead the souls of the dead to their final resting places. Oh, cool. So when you're watching the videos of the performers dancing and moving in these sound suits, they do kind of have a ritualistic cer- ceremonial feel to it. It's not just like, you know, doing the two step. <laughs> it's like right, like there's different. a lot of studying involved. With, yeah, you know the movements that they're making. Oh, totally. Like it goes really deep, and I feel like some people yeah. might look at them and think it's trivial, but when you really like get into the nitty gritty of the concepts behind his pieces, like it's so fascinating and mm-hmm. goes so deep. These are super sweet. Like, there's so many of them, too. Oh, my gosh. Look at that one. Like, he's one of my favorite yeah, artists. Yeah, well, I was just looking at, like, yeah, there's a one that looked like that on this one. Oh, yeah. I would say he's, like, in my top five. I just love him. <laughs> this is so cool. I'm so, like, I never heard of this guy before, so. Anyway, well, continue. we'll stick with you, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, Nick Cage. And so, oh, God. Cave. <laughs> <laughs> And also, I, I thought you'd kind of be interested in this because you've brought up Rococo um, before. But also, his sound suits are sometimes inspired by Rococo and late Baroque art with attention to, like, really ornate details and theatrical kind of impressions. Sweet. And so, although race, gender, and identity in general are the basis behind his sound suits, the pieces can take on and convey, like, so many different concepts 
And the meaning of the piece is really influenced and can change depending on the environment that it's imbued in. Or a lot of times there'll be a whole group of performers, which also changes the concept. And so I think that you have to like look at his work and really think and reflect to come to a meaning, which I like. It's not like immediately obvious. Like some artworks, it's immediately obvious and kind of easy what they're trying to get across. This, you kind of have to work at it and really mm-hmm. like think about the movements and what he's trying to convey, which I always like that, like working at it a little more. And Nick Cave created his very first sound suit in 1992. Okay. And this was created as a reaction to the police brutally beating Rodney King, which most of us mm-hmm. know the story. Mm-hmm. Horrible, horrible, tragic story. Um, but that's what inspired the very first sound suit. And I'll get a little bit more into that in a second here. But for this work, he collected a lot of sticks and twigs and he fashioned them into this suit. And when he put the suit on and he started moving, he had this like aha moment where he realized they made really insane, interesting sounds. And you hear the material that the art is made with, but you also hear the movements, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And so he realized this totally changed the piece. And then that became another goal of the work, hence the name Sound Suit. Mm -hmm. So some of the sound suits are so insane it sounds like a musical instrument is playing when the people are dancing in them so it's also like a wearable instrument as well like there's so many things going into this and so most of the time the sound suits are put on display and this reminds me of his department store days where he'd make the windows displays he's still kind of doing that sure (laughs) but with his sound suits And so he's also regularly known to perform and dance in the suits himself. But that's the thing, like, you would never know that the artist, the famous artist, Nick Cave himself, is right in front of you because it conceals the identity. And I think there's something so freeing about just being anonymous. And, you know, they use the term or the phrase dance like no one is watching. Yeah. This, like, gives you the ability to feel that way. Right. Which I love. And so, since his first sound suit creation in 1992, Nick Cave has created over 500 sound suits. All of them are amazing. Dang. And he is drawn to the sound suits because he has such an intense passion for fabric arts and fine arts in general. And he has a deep-rooted passion in dance and conveying emotions. So he brought all of these together in these works. And he also is given the opportunity to address different identities in the realm of like different cultures because culture is a huge theme in all of his work you'll notice and he is really inspired from his identity and background as an african-american male and also he grew inspired to include cultural connections in his work once he connected with alvin ailey who was very focused on you know identity and culture mm-hmm. and so this is just a side note right so when i was researching this when they're doing the dance moves, it's very lyrical. Um, like, there's a lot of emotion in them. It's not, like, you know, line dancing or jazz dancing. Mm-hmm. And one time, this is kind of funny, my mom really wanted me to be a dancer. I think she was a dancer in school, and so she wanted me to kind of follow in her footsteps. Mm-hmm. And she signed me up for a lyrical dance class, and we didn't really know what lyrical meant. And I was so bad it was like where you put on slow music and you like 
you make art with your body, basically. Oh, my gosh. And I'm, like, Wait, how old are you? This is middle school. Okay. So, you knew me. It was a secret for a reason. <laughs> I didn't want anybody seeing this. We <laughs> to tell each other everything. I know. I honestly did. Like, I kept it a secret. Because I'm, like, if you know me, I'm not a graceful person at all. I'm pretty clumsy. Even, like, oh I feel like you could tell that by my voice, even. Like, I'm not a very graceful person. <laughs> when you said that, I just had, a, like, a vivid memory of you spilling a margarita all over yourself. <laughs> at your bachelorette party? Yeah. Yeah. You were, that was, like, your first drink, too. Like yeah. You were, it's not like you were tipsy. You just spilled a margarita all over your body. <laughs> also, it was, like, within 15 minutes of me arriving. Yeah. <laughs> also, I spilt it all over the table where we were playing a game. So, it kind of <laughs> Like, all over that. your, like, your new swimsuit suit or something yeah so i I was like i don't when you said that i was like i don't know if i can think of anything where she wasn't graceful then i was like margarita (laughs) margarita all over yeah that sounds very much like me yep (laughs) so i i feel like like i said earlier like i really respect things that i can't do so i really respect people who are great at lyrical dance and that's how i would describe this dance work it's very lyrical Mm -hmm. and so his work um, can be described as being influenced by African art traditions and iconography and also high couture fashion. It's really heavily ornate and it also has stereotypical whimsical feminine objects, which I mentioned earlier. There's kind of some like phallic and feminine imagery going on in his work, which mm-hmm. makes sense because it's, you know, kind of commenting on identity in society. And in his work, he wants to address the real-life stakes of being vulnerable, and he wants to create experiences where diverse cultures and communities can come together and create one artistic experience involving identity and emotion. And so one of his famous sound suits is called Augment, and it is made of over a thousand inflatable lawn decorations that are hand-sewn together. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I know, it's insane. And on September 14th, 2019, so not that long ago, this sound suit was paraded around the streets in Boston and it was in efforts to spread joy and just bring together more than 75 Boston artists and performers and more than 500 Boston citizens, which it's like, I miss those days when you could have hundreds of people gathered in one place. Oh my gosh, it's just so weird to think about now because even when I like watch movies that you know, I know, and they're right? like, I don't know, out out somewhere, like at a concert or something. It's just like, oh my God, you're so yeah. close to each other. I do think like we'll have those days come back eventually, but I'm, man, I'm going to cry so hard at the very first concert that's, you know, normal, I guess, like it was before. Yeah. I'm going to bawl my eyes out just because I'm going to be so happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, everything's going pretty well. I think they're doing a good job like distributing the vaccines and stuff already yeah. and the trends are like way down so i'm hopeful but this is the most hopeful i felt with the whole covid situation yeah yeah for sure but i just want to end this with talking a little bit of why i love his pieces so much mm-hmm. one they're so captivating please do yourself a favor and go look at a video of a nick cave sound suit performance yeah you can look at pictures but the performances are really bomb because you get the so you get to hear the sound. I mean, that's like a huge part of the work. And also the dancing is incredible. And it has this way, like, I feel like I'm honestly put in a trance when I'm watching some of these performances. Mm-hmm. And it gives this whimsical and playful experience that's really hard to describe. 
And it really does, like, it just brings you joy watching them, which is why it made me so happy that he paraded his suit, sound suit called Augment around Boston just to bring joy to people. Like, that was the only goal was to celebrate joy. That's super cool. So cute, right? And so I just, I'm very mesmerized by these pieces and I love his message and his work. And I just want to end this by talking about his first sound suit creation, which I briefly mentioned earlier. So he was sitting in the woods and he was reflecting on life. This is after the Rodney King beating in 1992. Mm -hmm. And he all of a sudden notices a discarded twig that's on the ground. And he picks it up and he starts collecting hundreds of twigs just like it. And he assembles these twigs into a wearable sculpture of some sorts. I don't think he was initially planning on wearing it, but eventually he puts on the sculpture and when he was making it, he was thinking about the twigs and he was thinking, what does it feel like to just be discarded and dismissed and just less than, you know, because he's thinking about the Rodney King beating and how horribly he was treated by police. Mm -hmm. And once he put on the sound suit, he discovered the sound it made. And it got him to think about the role of protests and the idea of to be heard, you have to speak louder. And so it combines the idea of concealing identity to celebrate vulnerability and also having the strong presence of making noise and drawing attention. Mm -hmm. And the way that coincided with erasing the identity, because, you know, it's, it's no secret that people of different skin tones are treated differently in this oh, yeah. country for sure so when you conceal the identity i don't know it's just like i really found it fascinating how he coincided how his emotions with the rodney king beating and the his emotions with and the idea of really loud protesting mm -hmm. and he combined it and that's what made the creation of his first sound suit so that's pretty much all I have to say on him, but please check him out. That is really cool, though. Man, and I'm going to look up more later because we just watched a short little clip of a video. But yeah. It, but it was really cool. It made some insane sounds. Yeah, it made cool sounds. And, like, he also has a really cool talking voice. There's um a video it's easy to find if you just search Nick Cave on YouTube where he talks about his work. And he actually talks about um, more about connecting the Rodney King um beating to yeah. his first sound suit and he explains it much better obviously because it's coming from the artist himself right um so i'd highly recommend hearing him talk because he's he strikes me as the type of guy that i could talk to for hours like he's just a really cool guy but yeah that's nick cave and his famous sound suit works nice i love that i love it too it makes me Super happy. And I hope I get to see one again one day. I think there's actually a sound suit somewhere in Minnesota at one of the art museums. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll have to look into that because it was really cool seeing one in real life. Yeah, I bet. It really made me realize, like, just how detailed they are. Like, every little stitch that you can see, like, it, it's just really cool stuff. That's awesome. So, yeah. Check it out. Cool, cool. And I think we'll end it there. Awesome. So have a great week and we'll see you next time. Yeah. See you next time.